0: First announcement. Uh, just want to reiterate to uh, to folks who are joining us online that uh, that we have opened up. We are uh, 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 doing all of our mask wearing and social distancing. So if you can come, uh, please do. Um, we uh, if, if you want to make uh, some special accommodations, we can do that. Uh, we have rooms upstairs and uh, down in the down in the Fellowship Hall. Um, so please uh, give us a call, uh, email Marissa, and, uh, and we would love to have you uh, join us. Um, along with that, just some, uh, just some notes. So we are requiring uh, everybody or suggesting everybody to wear masks when they, uh, when they join us for a service. Uh, and then after the service, if we could uh, all come out the uh, left over here and congregate in the parking lot. Um, would appreciate that. A uh, couple of things, if you are going to be joining us, a uh, reminder to RSVP at uh, admin at SSCNH, Um If you're going to be coming on a weekly basis, you just note that in and then you don't have to keep uh, emailing every week. Um, so, it, you know, in this time of, you know, protests and financial strain and all this other stuff there's a lot of folks who are in need of uh, prayer and counseling so if you do need uh something like that want somebody to pray with you or just somebody to talk to even over uh zoom or in person um please uh please talk to one of the deacons or the pastor and uh, we can set something like that up uh, if no other announcements oh one other thing uh for visitors there is a connect card on the back of your uh uh, bulletin. It, we would love it uh, if you could fill that out uh, so we can get to know you better. If you have any questions about the church, please uh, please note that as well. Um, and then uh, Devin's going to start off off with the uh, call to worship. Stand for the call worship.
1: worship comes from Psalm 11 this morning. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And we shall do that this morning as we sing out this hymn and our subsequent song. Sing this out together.
2: Holy, 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 holy. Holy, holy, holy. to do seated on his throne, come let us adore.
3: Your seats, man. Before we uh, spend uh, just a few moments in prayer, just a, a couple of quick things. One, if you haven't noticed, uh, <laughs> uh, Aaron, I just noticed that Aaron Stevens is is back and he's here. Uh, it's good to see you uh, again, brother. <laughs> um and i also wanted to just uh, express my uh, my deep uh, gratitude uh, for you all uh you've been just incredibly generous uh with uh giving uh for uh, our dear sister Reshma, who is following the lord's call to uh, to missions and part of that missions uh, part of that calling includes uh going to a seminary and uh, i don't Know exactly the amount, but I know that uh, from you uh, she 's received uh, about uh, enough to cover her first uh, semester in seminary, which is uh, just absolutely uh, astounding um, it 's just uh, it's just praise the Lord and she is humbled and she was taken aback um, uh, but uh, and people have just provided even more than that and Had the uh, opportunity to drive down there with her, with uh, Kaylin, and to get her settled and get all her furniture and stock up her her refrigerator. And she's doing well, and she uh, loves you all. And I'm just uh, in awe of just the Lord's generosity through you. And uh, I just wanted to express that to you and just to thank you. And I know that she's especially grateful. So, if you would, uh, would you bow your heads with me as we just go into Go before the Lord just to, just to thank Him for just incredible, incredible generosity. Lord, we come before you this morning singing these wonderful truths about who you are. That you are the God who reigns forever and ever. That you are the God who is holy, 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 three times holy. and yet you would come to us in the person of your Son and give yourself to us to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Lord, for providing for us this incredible salvation through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. We thank you for giving us these immense blessings that we receive right now through your abiding Holy Spirit and these immense blessings that await us in eternity with you. And we thank you, Lord, for just your incredible generosity. Lord, and we should not be surprised because if you would provide just an incredible salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? Lord, we deserve nothing from you. And yet in Jesus Christ, you give us everything. So we want to come before you and just express our deepest gratitude. To say thank you, God, for who you are. For what you've given to us. For how you have provided for our sister. For how you continue to provide for others. Lord, we pray that you would glorify yourself through us, that you would glorify yourself through our giving, through the tithes and offerings, all the monetary gifts, Lord, that you would use these things for the advancement of your kingdom, for the proclamation of the gospel, for your own glory. So we thank you, Jesus for all that you do, for all that you've done, and all that you will continue to do. You are the one who can do much more abundantly than all that we think or we can even imagine. And so may we continue to live our lives to the glory of your name in a manner that pleases you and to use all that you give us, the resources, time, energy, everything, for your glory and the good of our brothers and sisters. Lord, we trust you for all of these things. And we also come before you praying the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts so we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you would please turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. So a couple weeks ago we started... John 17, as we've been walking through the Gospel of John, and we are now in the Jesus' prayer for the apostles, but also it's a prayer for his church. But he begins that prayer by first praying for himself. He prays for glory, for his own glory, and for the glory of God the Father. And so we're continuing in this... Uh, what's known as the high priestly prayer we'll cover i think next week we'll move past verse 5 so john 17 verse 1 when jesus had spoken these words he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, and we ask that you would help us to receive your word. We pray that your spirit would stir the right affections in our hearts, according to what your scripture says this morning, and teach us, instruct us, and I pray that we would not leave here the same as we came in. We trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God's chief end is to glorify himself, and man's chief end is to glorify God. I remember as a teenager struggling with questions of purpose. You know, what is the purpose of life? What is my purpose? Surely life has to consist of more than just waking up, going to sleep, going to school, obeying parents, going to work, doing this and doing that. that. Surely life has to be much more than just doing these things over and over again each and every day. And atheism and science and moral relativism can't answer that question. And it wasn't until much later in life that I finally learned the answer to that nagging question. I mean, the purpose of man is to glorify God because that's God's own purpose, to glorify Him. And we saw that last, a couple of weeks ago when we first started walking through this passage. And learning this for me when I did at that time was such a relief to me. One, because I finally had an answer to that nagging question, but also because it was a relief to know that life wasn't actually about me. That life isn't about my friends or even my family, as good as those things are. That life isn't about you. The life ultimately is about God and giving glory to God. And then as I learned this, I began to see this just about everywhere in the scriptures from Exodus 7, 1 Psalm 12, Psalm 23, Isaiah 43, John 17, Acts 12, Romans 3, Revelation 21, and in other passages in the scriptures where we see that God's aim is to glorify himself. I mean, if we remember back a couple weeks ago, that example in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me beside, or he makes me lie down by green pastures. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even Psalm 23 is not about me. It's about the Lord. And even with mundane tasks, That we do every day such as eating food and drinking water what does the apostle paul tells us whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do do what do all to the glory of god and god is glorified when sinners turned to jesus christ in faith and repentance and in return jesus as we saw in the passage jesus is authorized to give eternal life to those who turn to him. Right, and that gives Christ glory, that gives God glory. For the glory of God and eternal life are then brought together here in verse 3 of John chapter 17. This is eternal life, the author writes, quoting the words of Jesus, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So then from this one verse... I think we learned three things about eternal life. First, eternal life is knowledge. You and I both know that there's a big difference between knowing someone and really knowing someone. So if I asked you, do you know who Tom Cruise is? Most of you, perhaps 100% of you would say, yeah, I know who that is. But if I asked you, well, do you really know him? Do you know him personally? You'd probably, most likely you'd say no, right? And if you did, you should let me know. Maybe I can be in Mission impossible, number whatever it is, five, six. We're because we understand the difference between knowing something, knowing about somebody, and actually knowing a person. That is, we know them personally. We read the Gospels and even into the book of Acts, we read about a certain group of individuals who knew the Lord. In fact, they, their knowledge of God was unsurpassed by anybody else. If you had a question about the Lord, well, you would go to these individuals. And yet we also know that they didn't really know the Lord at all, and that's the religious teachers. Jesus, and we see this in the Gospel of John, is always claiming equality with God. He's saying that he is the Son of God, and one of those statements that he makes is in John chapter 8, where Jesus says that before Abraham was, I am. Right, And in that moment, the religious teachers were angry because they knew that in him making that statement, he was making himself to be equal with God. And in that conversation that that statement comes out of, in John chapter 8, verse 19, the teachers ask him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Again, these are the ones who knew the Lord better than anybody else. And Jesus says, you actually don't know God. To know God is to know Jesus. Because Jesus is the image of God. Because Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is equal with God. And Jesus tells them, you don't know God. In fact, they not only intended to arrest Jesus, but they even wanted to kill the God that they claimed to know. Later on in the farewell discourse, Jesus warns his disciples of coming persecution on account of their following Jesus. And in John chapter 16, verse 2, he tells them, he warns them, they, the religious teachers, will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known me nor the Father. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example of what Jesus is talking about. He persecuted Christians thinking that he was doing a good service to God until the Lord Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus. Listen, knowledge is not a bad thing. Knowledge is a very good thing. And I think in a lot of times in Christian circles, we try to stay away from knowledge. Oh, knowledge is a bad thing. But knowledge is a very good thing. I would encourage you to grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know him through his word. Know him through books. Know him through Bible studies. Know him through sermons. But we also have to be cautious with knowledge as well. Because knowledge can give a lot of people a false sense of assurance. There are many people in the world, and you might even know them personally, who think that they know the Lord, who claim to know the Lord, but they actually don't. When you look at their lives, you see that something is off. Something's not right. How do you know that you really, really personally know the Lord? Will you take a look at the fruit of your life? Right? Is your life characterized by repentance? Like, are you repenting of lust? Are you repenting when you Yell at your wife. Are you repenting when you are angry with your children? Are you repenting by telling the truth when you've told a lie? There are many people in the world, many who even occupy the seats in many churches who will be in in for a rude awakening in the day of judgment when God, the Son, looks at them square in the eyes and tells them, I don't know you. Knowledge is a very good thing, but only if it leads to orthopraxy, that is where where it leads to right living based on what you know. Knowledge can also lead to false assurance when that knowledge is false knowledge. The Bible has a lot of harsh things to say about false teachers because they proclaim things that are inaccurate and just flat out wrong with regards to the gospel and Jesus Christ. Some proclaim that God was not really, that Jesus was not really man or that Jesus was not really God, where you have the prosperity gospel, you have the gospel that teaches that Christ came and died to unlock the fullest potential of yourself to make you the best version of yourself today. And the Bible has harsh things to say about such false teachers because they lead wandering sheep astray by such false knowledge, which gives them a false assurance. Right knowledge has to come from the Scriptures. We have to read the Scriptures. And we have to be good Bereans. My aim is to tell you the biblical gospel, but it's, it's your responsibility as well to go back and read your Scriptures and make sure that I'm walking and proclaiming in the truth. Eternal life is to know God. And to understand what, Jesus, what, what, what John means by the word no, what Jesus means by no, the word no, we have to interpret it in the context of the gospel of John. And when we do, we at the very least see that there's two different categories or that the word no can be interpreted or defined in two different ways. That one is a superficial knowledge, to know something about something but not really know it which surely cannot be what John means here in John 17, verse 3. And we'll understand that a little bit later. So then what kind of knowledge is John talking about? So if you look at John chapter 10, we see the second category for the word know. no. In John chapter 10, verse 4, this is in the context of Jesus claiming, uh, making one of his many I am statements where he says, I am the good shepherd. In John 10, 4, he says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. The sheep follow the voice of Jesus, their shepherd, because they know his voice. They will not follow the voice of a stranger because they don't know or they don't recognize the voice of a stranger who calls out to them. And in that context, Jesus is talking about the sheep that in them, that is his own sheep that is in the sheepfold, that is gathered with many other sheep that belong to other shepherds. And when Jesus comes, who is the good shepherd, and calls out his own, only his own come out of the sheepfold and follow him, because they know his voice. They're acquainted with that voice. Much like a little girl is acquainted with the voice of her parents and can call it out and can discern it in the middle of a crowd. The sheep of Jesus follow the voice of the shepherd because they're familiar with his voice. In John 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So here Jesus is making a comparison between the knowledge of the Father and his knowledge of his own. Jesus knows the Father, and the Father knows him as Son. That's the kind of relationship they have. That's how intimate and close they are to one another. And he, Jesus says, and he compares that relationship to the relationship that he has with those who follow his voice, to those who are his sheep. That is how intimately acquainted I am with my own. I know them just as I know the Father. John seventeen three. Again, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Essentially, what that passage means is that the content or the essence of eternal life is to know God and to know Christ. Eternal life consists of knowing God and knowing the Lord Jesus. And to live eternally must mean to know God and Christ forever and ever in a personal and intimate way. That's what it has to mean. That is the kind of knowledge that John must be talking about. Eternal life is not only this superficial knowledge, knowing things about God, but it's knowing Him through Jesus Christ. So eternal life is not only knowledge, that is the right kind of knowledge in a personal way, but eternal life, secondly, is God. Eternal life is used are referenced more times in the gospel of John than anywhere else in the entire Bible. In fact, a third of those references come specifically from John chapter 6. And if you remember, John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000 where a massive crowd was following Jesus and rather than send the crowds home hungry, Jesus feeds them by multiplying some loaves of bread and some fish. Blesses it and multiplies it and it feeds all these hungry mouths. And then Jesus and his disciples depart from them. They cross the sea to get to the other side. And then we read that, the, that the, the crowds, I'm sure some of them went home, but still many of the crowds continued to follow Jesus, were looking after him, for him, and they got on boats, and they also crossed the sea to follow Jesus. And Jesus noticed that they're still following him, so he turns to them. And he says to them in John 6, verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus begins to share the gospel with the crowds by speaking to their needs, speaking to their affections. You are following me because because I made your bellies full. That's the only reason you're following me, right? And doesn't life mostly, for many people, life consists of fulfilling temporary pleasures, finding satisfaction in things that never really satisfy, going from moment to moment, day to day, work week to work week, weekend to weekend, trying to satisfy appetites, But Jesus is telling the crowds, you work hard for these things. Why don't you work for something that provides permanent satisfaction? John 6, I think, illustrates for us that man will do just about anything to satisfy physical appetite or or emotional appetites or spiritual appetites or even intellectual appetites. Jesus is saying it's clear that you crowds will... Do just about anything, anything to have your bellies full. I mean, you've crossed the sea, have followed me thus far. This so this show how hard you're willing to work. Why don't you put that work, why don't you put all that effort to pursuing something that provides actually permanent satisfaction? And the crowds actually get it, right? They respond and they say, well, what do we do? What kind of work do we need to do? And Jesus says in John 6, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And he continues, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So if anyone desires to be satisfied, Jesus says he must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, is what he says later on in chapter chapter 6. Meaning, you must believe in the Son. You must believe in him. You must turn to him. You must give your life to the Son. And it's not to say, he doesn't mean that you will never have to eat or drink again. But Jesus is always getting to the spiritual matter of things, of the things that really matter. No, you have a greater appetite that is much more important than your physical appetite. That is the need for forgiveness. That is a need for righteousness that you don't have right now and that you can never get on your own. But I can provide that to you if you will only believe. So you must digest Jesus, so to speak. So that you are one with him and he is one with you through faith. And only then will you receive eternal life. And so with the gospel of John, especially in John chapter 6, we see that it helps us to understand some things about eternal life. And that is eternal life is not only about a knowledge of God, but it's also about being satisfied in God. Because what Christ does in offering the world eternal life to those who turn to him is that he's offering them the gift of God himself. Eternal life is satisfaction in God. Eternal life in God is a gift of having forever and ever and ever satisfaction in God. When we receive eternal life, what we are receiving is access to God. That is what Jesus Christ gives to us. And access to God allows us to know God in a personal and intimate way, in an increasing manner, to know His love, His mercy, His compassion, His grace, His strength, His endurance, the boldness that He provides. It's knowing His joy, knowing His delights, knowing all those things, all His wonderful attributes in an increasing manner. Alternatively, to reject such a precious gift results in the opposite. Where well, you are, I think, going to still know some things about the Lord, but not those positive and wonderful attributes, but to know sort of the negative attributes of the Lord, His wrath, His anger, His retributive justice, His displeasure. Right, that kind of eternal destiny must be a place of permanent dissatisfaction that consists of an everlasting pleading for relief. But that relief never being satisfied. An eternal life must be a gift. It has to be. Because, I mean, theoretically speaking, if you could live your entire life without any sin, which is impossible, but theoretically speaking, if you could, then you could technically earn immortality for live on forever and ever you could earn yourself a place in heaven but what in the world could man ever do even if he should live a hundred lifetimes without sin what could man ever do to earn the extremely and eternally valuable gift of god himself absolutely nothing That's why the mercy and grace of God in Christ is so wonderful. Because through Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of God himself. And that is what eternal life consists of. So eternal life is knowledge. The knowledge of a, a personal knowledge of God. God. And eternal life is God, is satisfaction in God. And, And lastly, eternal life is communion. So if eternal life is our having permanent access to God, so that we may know Him in a personal way, then eternal life is to be forever in communion with our God. It is to have this close fellowship with Him, where we can know Him in an increasing manner, where He can relate to us as our Father, we can relate to Him as as our God, as our Father. He can relate to us as our, uh, we can relate to Him as His beloved children, where we can relate to Christ as our elder brother, and He can relate to us as His siblings. Right? This is the preciousness of the wonderful thing that Jesus gives to us through eternal life. And it's mind-blowing, right? We just got done singing about how holy God is. That He is the King, He's the one who created all things. That this is the transcendent God. The God who is above all things, omnipotent, omnipresent. And yet, he is near to us and even comes to dwell within us through the Holy Spirit. So through Christ, we have this permanent union with God and with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And it's only through this permanent union that we can have this wonderful communion with God in Christ. Through Christ, God means to pull us and to draw us into the reality, into the re- the reality of a life lived in communion with God. So, the implications of the reality of verse 3 is that eternal life is not necessarily a place that we go to, sometime in the future, nor is eternal life just a future event that will happen to us, that we long for later on. But the reality of verse 3 of John chapter 17 is that eternal life is right now. Now is eternal life. Communing with God in Christ is something that you enjoy right now. And maybe you're not aware of it, but you have been enjoying that eternal life already. And so my exhortation to you is to not to get careless. Don't let yourself get careless about your communion with God and with Christ. And we get careless when we let anything interrupt or disrupt or intrude that communion that we enjoy with God and with Christ. We get careless when we permit any sin to grow in our hearts. We get careless when we allow ourselves to become embittered by anything. We get careless when we refuse to forgive one another as the Lord commands us to do. We get careless when we're not in the word As regularly as we should be, when we are not in prayer as consistently as we should be, we get careless when we allow ourselves to be discontent over what we have or don't have instead of being satisfied with God. We get careless when we don't prioritize being with the saints whether outside of church or in a corporate gathering or in context of community groups. And I'm not talking about those who, for health reasons, can't get out of the home. I think the Lord provides a special grace in those circumstances. But if you would desire a deeper communion with God and with Christ, then you must continually present yourself or put yourself in a position to receive His grace. Romans 6.13 the Apostle Paul tells us, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Presenting of yourself, that is presenting yourself... You cannot present yourself to anything without having some kind of posture of humility. And you can do that with sin. You can easily present yourself to any to worldly attachments, to sin, to discontentment, to being embittered, in order to be led by those things. But the Scriptures command us to present ourselves to God as instruments for Righteousness. And the idea there is consistently, regularly present yourself to God in a posture of humility, ready to receive from the Lord his grace, the grace that we need every single day. Present yourself to God through the spiritual devotions or disciplines or what I to call the means of grace, such as prayer, the word, meditation on the things of God, fasting present yourselves to God to the fellowship of the saints you're not careless you're not careless about the things that you delight in and enjoy right you're after a long day you'll maybe go home and put on netflix why because you enjoy it you have hobbies things that you like to do you're not careless about those things but you might make it a priority to enjoy those things. You might put it into your schedule. You might even work other things in your life and in your day around that one thing that you want to do because you enjoy doing it, right? You're not careless about the things that you enjoy. And God has given us His Son who died on the cross so that we may have access to God, so that we may have communion with God and with Christ, something for us to enjoy. And if we are so diligent to enjoy hobbies or sports or all these things that are, that are good, why not put that same effort and diligence into our enjoying communion with the Lord? Right? Present yourselves to God for reading of the Word through Bible studies in all these different ways. Right? And, in these, and in this way, Right, you're being watchful over your communion with God and with Christ. Right, because you're, you're being watchful because you're not allowing anything to intrude into that communion. And when that does happen, well, you're quick to confess to the Lord, to turn away from those things and continue to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And So care a lot, exercise a lot of care over your communion with the Lord right? It cost Jesus dearly to give you that gift. So watch over it and enjoy it. Enjoy your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Enjoy that communion that we have with the Lord. And it's a precious, precious gift. And I pray that that, that, I pray that for you, individually, personally, that you would do that if you're married as, as a couple, that you would do that together, and that we would do that together as a church as well, being watchful over our enjoyment of our communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, It is odd to say, describe those two things to you in the same sentence because holiness communicates that you are above us, that you are separate from us. But you are also our Father through Jesus Christ where you share an intimate and personal relationship with us. Lord, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Restore to us the joy of having this close relationship with you that is accessible to us through Jesus Christ. May we not get careless with it, but that we would deeper our communion with you. Help us to not be lazy in this. But help us, Lord, through your Spirit, give to us what we need. Give us the zeal that we need to pursue you with all of our heart, to love you with all of our heart and soul, and mind, and strength. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us, for giving us the gift of God that we get to enjoy now and will continue to enjoy for all of eternity. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Worship with us. grace alone.
2: blood I come welcomed as your own into the arms of majesty Behold the bright and risen sun more beauty than this world has known. Face to face with love himself Is perfect for this righteousness And oh, a thousand years A thousand times are not enough to Knowing we're free from condemnation. No oh, praise the one praise the one who made an end to all my sin. This is the art And this is the art of celebration Knowing we're free from condemnation no as your own into the arms of majesty Rumors of the Son of Man Stories of a Savior With human hands, treasure for the traitor, no ear is heard, no eye is seen the image of the Father until heaven came to. Live Church
1: may we part with these words from 1 John 5 and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is the true God and eternal life little children keep yourselves from idols You are dismissed until we return again, Lord willing.